from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, Republicans are essentially standing on the sidelines watching their Democratic colleagues slug it out over the size and contents of President Biden's $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. Late last week, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin said the measure needed to have restrictions on abortion funding, known as the Hyde Amendment, or it would be, quote, dead on arrival. On the other side of the Capitol and the Democratic spectrum, Congresswoman Jaya Paul, chair of the Progressive Caucus, was asked about the Hyde restrictions by Dana Bash on CNN's State of the Union yesterday. Can you vote for a bill that, does, that has the Hyde Amendment in it? No. So what happens? Oklahoma Senator James Langford joins me. We'll also talk with him about Dr. Fauci's comments on forcing people to get vaccinated or lose their jobs as being a good thing. When you do that, when you tell people that there are alternatives, that if you do not want to get vaccinated, you're not going to work or you're not going to be able to go to school. Senator Langford will tell us what he is doing to stop the Biden mandate that says get a jab or lose your job. Speaking of reconciliation, the Democrats have slipped a provision in the 2,500-page bill that requires financial institutions to report to the IRS any transaction over $600. Now, this would allow the federal government to snoop even more on American citizens. Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville hopes to put a stop to this with his Protect Americans Financial Privacy Against Big Government Surveillance Act. He's here later to explain I'll also discuss with him, as a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, the report that China flew a record number of incursions into Taiwan's air defense identification zone over the weekend. The question is, are the Chinese probing to determine the U.S.'s resolve to keep its commitment and protect Taiwan from China in the wake of the Afghan debacle? Continuing on the military front, we'll be joined by the mother of Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, who spoke out and announced he was resigning due to the U.S. bungled withdrawal from Afghanistan. I want to say this very strongly. I have been fighting for 17 years. I am willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability. Military officials arrested Scheller and are holding him in the brig in North Carolina. The justification, according to the military, is that he is a flight risk. Kathy Scheller, his mother, is here with her son's story and an update on his situation. Now, how many times have we heard follow the science? The USA Today ran with a front-page story today which parrots the statements of Dr. Fauci that says 90% of Americans have to be vaccinated for us to get to herd immunity. Now, I must be missing something. We'll talk with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of medicine at Stanford University. And some exciting news to share with you today. Not only did I become a grandfather over the weekend, my first grandchild, Hudson David Perkins, but not only is the Perkins family growing, but so is the Washington Watch family. Starting today, NRB TV becomes the newest platform for Washington Watch. NRB TV is available in more than 39 million households across the United States on DirecTV channel 378. That's 378 on DirecTV. So tell your friends to tune in 
to Washington Watch. And finally, FRC and FRC Action will be hosting its inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, beginning this Wednesday. So go to prayvotestand.org to sign up, because even if you can't make it, it is in person, but even if you can't make it, you can still participate. Go to prayvotestand.org, find out who's going to be there, and I hope you will join us as well. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi had to postpone a vote last week on the $1.5 trillion so-called infrastructure bill because the left, left, left left-wing party of the party wanted it tied to passage of the bigger, more wasteful $3.5 trillion reconciliation measure, which Pelosi says is for human infrastructure. Now, the holdup is two Senate moderates, both Democrats, Senator Manchin of West Virginia and Senator Sinema of Arizona. Now, last week, as I mentioned, Senator Manchin said the massive bill had to have restrictions on taxpayer funding of abortion or he wouldn't support it. As you just heard, the left is not in favor. In fact, Congresswoman Jaya Paul had this to say and more to say, actually, about this over the weekend. Can you vote for a bill that does that has the Hyde Amendment in it? No. So what happens? How do you? I mean, let's just, we're, this is a negotiation, that. and we've got to continue to move this forward. But the Hyde Amendment is something that the majority of the country does not support. With me now to correct the record is Senator James Langford of Oklahoma. He serves on the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Government Affairs, as well as the Committee on Finance. He also chairs the Senate Values Action Team. Senator Langford, welcome back to the program. Uh, glad to be with you again, Tony, to help set the record straight. Yeah, I want to start right where she left off, that a majority of Americans oppose the Hyde Amendment. Uh, The polling I've seen for several years running is counter to that. Yeah, overwhelmingly, uh, Americans support the Hyde Amendment. Even the guy named Senator Joe Biden supported the Hyde Amendment when he was in the Senate. Let's be very clear what the Hyde Amendment is. The Hyde Amendment says we won't use federal tax dollars to take the life of children. We can ask over and over again across the fruited plain, do you support using your federal tax dollars to provide abortion for women? And overwhelmingly, those numbers say no on that. Now, even that's with a divided nation that some would say they're pro-choice, but they don't believe that federal tax dollars should be used or be compelled to be able to come from people that are pro-life to be able to be used for the taking of life. Health care is about preserving life. Abortion is about taking life. So this is not a health care issue. This is all about, are we going to use federal tax dollars to pay for abortion? And I would say adamantly no, we shouldn't have abortion at all. Well, the latest poll numbers I saw from earlier in the year, uh, Ameris poll, 58% of Americans say they oppose taxpayer funding of abortion, while 38% support it. Uh, That is very similar to a 2016 uh, political Harvard poll that uh, found essentially the same numbers, 58-36%. Uh, so and that's not even that in, in today's world, that's not close. Uh, so right. you're absolutely right. Um, but let me ask you this. Is the president's big, you know, three point five trillion or four point three, depending on whose numbers you look at, is it in jeopardy over this issue of taxpayer funding of abortion? You know, I would hope that it would be in jeopardy over this. This big three and a half trillion dollar package is a really a new entitlement package is what it is. This is new entitlements stacked on the entitlements that we already have in our government. And they're wanting to basically throw out everything that they possibly can uh, to be able to put their socialist political agenda out there. One of those things being that they want to have more abortions in America. Uh, To be very clear, the progressive side, and they've been very clear on this over the last 
even 72 hours with the women's march and everything else. They're not just pro-choice. They are pro-abortion. They want people to go tell their abortion stories and encourage more people to do abortions. Joe Biden has been the most pro-abortion president our nation has ever had, and it's not even close how far he is leaning into the abortion issue. And so what we're trying to be able to make very clear is we stand on the value in life of every baby. And I think that's the right place to be able to stand is that every child is precious, not only in God's sight, but it should be precious in the sight of our community. Have you had conversations with Senator Manchin about this? I have, actually. He's been pretty outspoken on it. As you know, I ran a Hyde Amendment bill. And when we did the previous reconciliation, he was the only Democrat that voted with me during that time period as well. And so we were able to pass a protection for the Hyde Amendment in the Senate just a month ago. But Joe's been pretty outspoken to say he hasn't moved on this. The left has moved. He's not the one that's moved. Again, I go back to Joe Biden. When he was in the Senate, he supported the Hyde Amendment. So Manchin is the one who's actually remained consistent in this. The left has just gone a lot farther left. And Manchin has dug in and said it's dead on arrival if it comes over and doesn't have Hyde protections on it. He has not been ambivalent at all on this. And I see him as holding that ground. I do, too. And as well, he should. And other Democrats that are in the Senate that have historically voted for Hyde protections, I think they should continue to be able to vote Hyde protections as well. But right now, Manchin's the only one that's speaking out on that. I want to switch to another topic that you've been leading out on as well, and that is this issue of the vaccine mandate. You've introduced an, a, a, van, uh, a Stop the Vaccine Mandate Act. I want you to get, I want to, get you to, to uh, give us the details on it. But first, I want to play another clip of Dr. Fauci uh, from this weekend. Uh, clip eight, please. We've had, I, I believe, uh, Margaret, if I'm not mistaken, close to a thousand or more universities are saying that if you want to be on campus with real-time classes, mm -hmm. you really have to get vaccinated or you can't come. And there are businesses that are doing that. I mean, airlines, look at airlines, the mandate of, of, of the airlines, where you have now 99% of certain airlines uh, employees are vaccinated. Yeah. So when you do that, when you tell people that there are alternatives, that if you do not want to get vaccinated, you're not going to work or you're not going to be able to go to school. I think that the emergent nature of what we're dealing with actually does justify that. Well, alter alternatives, I think he means consequences. And he went on to talk about how he is uh, happy that these private companies are taking these actions based upon the call for a mandate by President Biden. Um, so get a jab or lose your job. How un-American is that? Uh, very, very un-American. We're the United States of America. We're not the People's Republic of China. We don't have demands that we put on every single citizen and say, you do this or you're out, you're going to lose your job. China, the Chinese say if you don't follow the Communist Party, you can't get a job, you can't ride on public transportation, you can't do those things. That's what they do all the time to their citizens. We are a free nation that we encourage uh, in engagement. I've had the vaccine. My wife has had the vaccine. I encourage people to take the vaccine. It's very, very helpful, I believe. But that's a very different thing than saying we're going to actually mandate the vaccine on individuals or to say you're going to lose your job or you can't have public service or whatever it may be. So the bill that I propose basically does away with the president's executive order. But what's interesting to note on this, Tony, is so far all we have is a speech from the president on this. There is no Department of Labor regulation out there saying that if you're in a company of 100 or more, you have to all be vaccinated. That regulation does not exist. There's nothing in writing on it. It's a speech from the president. Even the Office of Personnel Management and Office of Management and Budget for federal employees and federal contractors, they're scrambling 
because the White House has put out no paperwork on it. That deadline to get the first of two vaccines, if you're going to do that, is within two weeks. They still don't have anything released out for them. This is only a speech from the president that they're trying to be able to push people and say the mandate exists. It doesn't exist at this point, which is the reason that there hasn't been lawsuits on this yet, because you can't sue a speech. And so it's now going just through the process of them trying to be able to determine what they're going to do. And they're finding out just how hard this is, where truck drivers across the country are saying, I'm not going to do it. And then we're going to have serious supply chain issues, even more so than what we have now in federal agencies and even in our National Guard. Uh, we have a lot of individuals that are saying, hey, if I'm compelled to do this, I'm just not going to do this. This is going to cause a national security issue. It's going to cause supply chain issues. It's going to cause all kinds of problems across our, our entire economy. And a lot of folks that are great employees in every area that would just say, I've already had COVID. There are 40 million Americans right. that have. They have natural immunity. Or they'll say, listen, I'll wear a mask. I'm not going to do uh, the vaccine for whatever reason or religious exemptions. They need to be respected on this. But right now, Fauci and the president and multiple others are saying, I'm your dad. You're going to do what I tell you to do. And that's just not who we are as Americans. Uh, Senator, very quickly, we're up against a break. The music is starting here. But could it be that the pushback, what we're seeing in New York with people being uh, leaving the job, health care workers, could that cause the White House to be rethinking this mandate? I hope it does. And you're going to see this just in hospitals, but you're going to see this across the entire economy where people just say, I'm going to do something else. And it's going to cause major problems. And the president should pay attention to what's actually happening across the Fruited Plain. How can folks uh, get behind the bill that you have? How can they help you? Well, they can reach out to our office. We're at langford.senate.gov. They want to reach out to us and get more information there. Or they can contact their own uh, senators and say, hey, let's get behind the Langford uh, ending uh, vaccine mandates to be able to block the Biden executive order to make sure that doesn't go into effect. All right. Senator, thanks so much for being with us. Folks, stick with us. Senator Tommy Tuberville from Alabama is next. Don't go right. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and FRC Action's inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and the truth of God's word, we've launched Pray Vote Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray Vote Stand Summit. 
Register online at prevotestand.org slash summit or by calling 877-372-2808. More than ever before, Christians need to be grounded in the truth of God's word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. By applying the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues, including voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality, the experts at the center have provided resources to help Christians live by a biblical worldview. To understand why, scripture must be authoritative and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. Access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. During the Senate Armed Services Committee hearing on Afghanistan uh, last week, uh, Senator Tommy Tupperbill of uh, Alabama had actually the last question, and he asked Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin if he is opposed to dishonorable discharges for U.S. military service members who decline to get the COVID shot. Here is that exchange. Are you against dishonorable discharges to the military for not taking a vaccine? You're the leader of the DOD. I am the leader. Uh, and, and again, I don't, uh, we have a non-judicial, uh, uh, excuse me, a UCMJ uh, that really addresses uh, all, of, uh, all of the issues in the military uh, and, and gives our, our leadership uh, what they need to be able to in, enforce standards. Uh, taking a vaccine is a requirement. And, uh, and again, uh, I'll just leave it at that. That was a really good non-answer. Joining me now is uh, Senator Tuberville from Alabama. Senator, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. That was the Capitol Hill two-step there. <laughs> and he ought to be running for office because he didn't say anything. Uh, a very straightforward question, uh, which I think as the head of the military, he should give an opinion. But I think he is my I watched that um, as that took place. And my read and I wasn't in the room, I was watching on TV. But my read from his body language is he wanted to say he didn't support it, but he can't because the president apparently pushing him. My take. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, they're all taking their orders, especially the military. It's kind of like Afghanistan. We had that hearing. And the one thing that we wanted to get on the table was, whether was it a political decision from the State Department and President Biden, or was it a military decision? Well, obviously, uh, they backed that up, the military decision. Every general said, we need to stay. We need to protect the people that are there. Let's make, if we're going to leave, let's do it right. And, uh, uh, you know, they... Uh, Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, and, and uh, President Biden said, no, we're going to get out. And uh, we did it totally the wrong way. Now, on the issue of the vaccine, one week before the hearing, you introduced the COVID-19 Vaccine Dishonorable Discharge Prevention Act. Tell our listeners about that and why you introduced it. 
Well, there's no reason. First of all, um, I took the vaccine. Uh, I believe it has helped me. I'm around a lot of people, and I think it would help a lot of people. But, uh, you know, we live in a free country. You, you, you don't have to be told that you've got to take something uh, and put in your body. Now, uh, when it gets to the military, it's the same thing. I mean, if, if, you, if you want to go into the military, that's your option. You're not forced to go in the military anymore. You're not drafted. Uh, so the federal government shouldn't have the opportunity to tell you just because you're in the military or, or government official that you have to take this vaccine. So they were going to make a dishonorable discharge if you didn't take it. And, you know, President Biden's sticking with that. I, I don't know where he's getting all this information from, but it doesn't it doesn't fit the narrative. It doesn't fit the narrative of this country, uh, freedom and liberty. It surely doesn't fit, uh, you know, what we do in the military. Uh, you know, you've got the right to choose. So we put that bill out. It won't get anywhere, but uh, we, we're talking about it on the Senate floor. Uh, we're getting other senators to talk about it. And uh, uh, I think that uh, we will eventually uh, get enough press that uh, they're going to have to stand up and just say we are or we're not going to do this. Now, there was an effort to get that inserted into the NDAA. Uh, is there any chance that that could come out of the conference committee report on the National Defense Authorization Act? Yeah, we, we possibly could do that. We're going to try to do it. Uh, uh, it just They just uh, passed it out of the House, and now it's got to go back through committees, and we'll try to get several uh, different things in the, in the NDAA. It's, it's looking pretty good. You know, we, we got an we got an increase in the amount that President Biden wanted to put in. We didn't want to cut the military. We wanted to do do what was right. Uh, but there are some things like this that we possibly could get in there. Uh, we just we don't know where a lot of people stand on this, uh, even the Democrats. The one thing I'm on the Armed Services Committee and it's probably the most bipartisan committee up here, because how can you not like the military? How can you not like protecting ourselves, our country, our allies? And, uh, you know, most of the people on the committee and uh, Republican or Democrat are pretty straightforward that uh, we're in this together. And so maybe we can get this through. It just doesn't seem right to me that we can uh, have these men and women go through life being in the military and all of a sudden they won't take the vaccine. And so they're going to get a dishonorable discharge and lose their pension, lose their insurance and have things like that happen to them uh, just because uh, they won't abide by the rules of the this Gestapo government that we're we're trying to uh, uh, build here in Washington, D.C. If we were five, ten years down the road here and this this vaccine had a very established track record, and I've said before, I'm not against the vaccine. I've actually had COVID, so I have natural immunity. That's not being factored in, and I just, I just feel like they've politicized this by forcing it upon, upon people when we still do not have a lot of information. As I said, five, ten years down the road, I understand it could be something uh, that uh, is required. Let me switch gears. Speaking of the military, Taiwan has reported a record number of incursions by the Chinese uh, into their air identification zone for uh, like three days running. What can you tell us about this? Well, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're showing weakness in everything we do in foreign policy with Biden. And uh, while we're doing this, uh, the one thing that we got to really be careful of is the Indo-Pacific, uh, not just not just Taiwan, but other areas. So uh, after Afghanistan, just immediately after Afghanistan, you saw where uh, Xi Ping or whatever his name is from China comes out and says, 
you know, uh, that's our sovereign uh, uh, nation. Uh, they're part of our country, and eventually we're going to take them back. And so every day they're kind of pushing to, to make things happen, to make it look like that they might come in. You know, we've got an aircraft carrier over there. Uh, I know uh, Great Britain, Britain has an aircraft carrier. We're uh, trying to get uh, uh, more things done to, to support Taiwan. Uh, right. we, don't, we don't need to be doing it ourselves, but we need to help them support themselves because they've been a great ally. And uh, matter of fact, we were here the other day and had the ambassador sitting here in my office, and they're needing 25 million vaccines, and I'm trying to get the administration to sell them to them. For some reason, we won't sell them to them. Uh, we we were able to sell them two million back when this first started. The vaccine first came out, but we should be do, we should be helping our allies and people all over the world yeah. with this vaccine. It's, if they want it. Instead of mandating it here for people who actually have natural immunity. Senator, we got to leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. Look forward to talking to you again real soon. Stick with us, folks. We're back after this. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Have you ever tried to read the Bible daily but struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's Word, by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. That's frc.org Bible. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Also, let me uh, remind you again, beginning Wednesday, we'll have our Pray, Vote, Stand Summit in Leesburg, Virginia. Find out more about it, go to PrayVoteStand.org. Back in August, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller of the United States Marine Corps started sharing social media posts and videos criticizing military leaders for the debacle in Afghanistan and for their failure to take responsibility for the disastrous withdrawal. Here's a clip of one of those videos. We have a Secretary of Defense that testified to Congress in May that the Afghan National Security Force could withstand the Taliban advance. We have 
chairman's a joint chief who the commandant is a member of that who's supposed to advise on military policy we have a marine combatant commander all of these people are supposed to advise and i'm not saying we've got to be in the in afghanistan forever but i am saying did any of you throw your rank on the table and say hey it's a bad idea to evacuate bagram airfield the strategic air base before we evacuate everyone did anyone do that and when you didn't think to do that did anyone raise their hand and say we completely messed this up well, not long after that video was posted, Lieutenant Colonel Scheller was relieved of duty, but he continued to share posts and was eventually told by superiors to stop posting to social media altogether, an order he immediately ignored by posting about the gag order. Well, about a week ago, the Lieutenant Colonel Scheller was placed in a pre-trial confinement and now faces four possible charges. Joining me now to talk about his situation is his mother, Kathy Scheller. Michelle, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you for inviting me. Now, uh, your son, I believe, has another hearing tomorrow. Is is that correct? He has his first hearing tomorrow. They, they had one last Thursday, and they postponed it to Tuesday so they could have the weekend to try to work things out. We are praying heavily over here and calling for everyone else to pray that the military will have a softening of their heart and will accept his resignation that he placed a month ago and release him and let him go back to his family. Now, I want to point The hour is getting late. Yes, it go is. Ahead, I, I want to point out what he said in that video because he what he did is he challenged the uh, the military brass to say, hey, if you disagree with this, why didn't you lay your stars on the table, which is the appropriate response. And then he did the same. He said, I can't go along with this, and that's why he resigned. He, he, he gave up his retirement after 17 years, just needed three more to finish retirement. He said, I cannot go along with this. So he did, I believe he did the right thing in that sense, and he had a right to speak out. Now, all he's wanting to do is to separate from the military, but they've put him in jail, essentially, that's the brig, saying that he's a flight risk. I mean, he's resigning himself. I, How is he a flight risk? I don't know that they said that he's a flight risk. I have not heard that. Um, but they did put him pre-trial confinement is solitary confinement in the brig with well, no but, access to visitors or telephones. But they are saying, you know, I understand 12, 14 days of confinement because of COVID. I, I don't get why he cannot call his family. But there it is. So uh, in question is whether or not he will be dishonorably discharged or allowed to resign and leave the Marine Corps with an honorable discharge. Is that what's in question now? Or they, if they find they decide to press charges tomorrow, he will stay in prison until he gets a court martial, which could be, I don't know, because six, eight, ten, twelve months. And then because the the way the Marine Corps is now set up, the general that brought the charges picks the judge. The judge picks the jury. The judge that reports to the general um, also picks the prosecuting attorney. So <laughs> he's going to have no chance. So we're expecting that he will have a very long prison sentence. Uh, let me, again, Kathy, make sure that I, I – portrayed this correctly he did off he he said he was resigning and that's when he continued yes. to make these statements so he did what he asked the commanding generals to do and that was if they disagreed with this to put their 
their their bars, their stars on the table, and that's exactly what he correct. did. Is that correct? It is correct. But they refused to accept his resignation. They said that he served at the pleasure of the president, and they did not accept his resignation. That's amazing. And then they I, continued I, to apply pressure, and, you know, he started looking a little off because there was a lot of pressure, and then he regrouped. But he felt compelled. He felt like this was the right thing to do. He has always been a moral man full of valor and standing up for people, for his service members. And he does a lot of work with suicide prevention. And he knew if there was not accountability, people were going to be killing themselves. And so, that is the truth. Kathy, how can, how can folks help? Well, first of all, pray. Tomorrow is the hearing. We've been asking people to contact their congressperson because it's become very political, and we really need to get um, the word out and get people to turn around. And we are asking that um, a lot of people donated at the site for his, him and his family at pipehitterfoundation.org. Um, it's been outstanding response. But just really pray at this point that they release him. Uh, we will uh, we will definitely do that. And uh, and Kathy, as a, as a Marine veteran myself, please, when you do talk to him, tell him I said simplify. Uh, thanks for Thank uh, standing. Thank you. All right, uh, folks, you, you heard it. Be praying. I mean, he did the he did what some of those generals that sat in the hearing last week should have done. When they made the recommendations and the president didn't take it, some of them should have put their stars on the table, and they didn't do it. And what happened? It was disastrous. Now here's a lieutenant colonel willing to do what the, uh, the leaders wouldn't. All right, don't go away. More Washington Watch to come on the other side of the break. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically, one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, in weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns will have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Is real biblical masculinity lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands, and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do 
and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. And again, let me remind you, starting Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, we'll have our first Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. It'll be coming to you live from Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Find out how you can be a part of it. Go to prayvotestand.org. All right, it's not my intent to pick on Dr. Fauci, but it just gives us so much material. All right. Uh, Again, he was uh, this week. He was on uh, yesterday. He was on face the uh, face the nation. And he was uh, discussing Christmas. All right. I mean, this is Dr. Grinch. I mean, Dr. Fauci Uh, play clip uh, number seven. But we can gather for Christmas or it's just too soon to tell. You know, Margaret, it's just too soon to tell. Well, it was more to the exchange, but he, uh, he he had to walk that back today. He released a statement clarifying remarks that he made over the weekend that it was too soon for families to consider gathering in person to celebrate Christmas. I mean, think about this for a moment. People are already making their plans for Thanksgiving and Christmas, buying airline tickets, uh, plotting uh, trips across the country. Uh, and, you know, this guy has gained too much power, and they scare too many people with all this stuff. Now, one of the issues uh, that was also discussed was uh, how many people need to be vaccinated. Now, you might recall uh, last week, President Biden was asked by a reporter how many Americans need to be vaccinated for us to get back to normal. Not sure we're ever going to be there, but he said, quote, the vast majority. And he later added between 96 and 98 percent. Well, if that's the figure that we need to reach in terms of vaccinations, probably means we'll never get back to normal, at least not under this administration. But how high do we really need to get to reach what uh, at one point was discussed as the goal, herd immunity? And how do those who have natural immunity fit into the equation? Well, with me now to talk about all this and more is Dr. Bhattacharya, professor of medicine at Stanford University and one of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, a statement advocating an alternative approach to the COVID-19 pandemic last year. Dr. Bhattacharya, welcome back to the program. Nice to be here. 
Okay, so uh, we're hearing this uh, number somewhere between 85 to 98 percent of the population has to be vaccinated. Uh, is that even possible? Well, I think, uh, first, let me just clear up a couple of uh, things that I think people have gotten very, very wrong, including, I think, Dr. Fauci about this. Uh, the vaccine does not seem, to, after a few short months, to stop disease spread. We see it, we're seeing many countries that are widely vaccinated, Israel, uh, Iceland, the UK, actually even the United States, have enormous case outbreaks despite large, uh, widespread vaccination. The vaccine um, protects against severe disease. It's very, very good at that. It reduces the risk of death and mortality and, and, uh, and hospitalization. But many, many people, including myself, have gotten infections after being vaccinated after a few short months. The evidence out of Qatar, for instance, suggests after five months, you almost get no protection against infections of vaccine. On the other hand, natural immunity, that is immunity derived after you've recovered from COVID infection, um, you get very long-standing protection against infection. The, the right sort of sequence is get vaccinated and then don't worry so much about being infected because really we don't have a technology to stop that. The lockdowns didn't stop that. The vaccines don't stop that. What does herd immunity mean? Herd immunity means there's a sufficiently large fraction of the population that's immune so that, uh, that, that the disease isn't spreading in the population. When one person meets another person, the person they meet, even if they're, si uh, is, if they're sick, you're immune, so you're not, you're not going to get the disease from them. That's, that's what herd immunity means. Um, uh, what herd immunity will look like is not zero COVID. I think that's another f problem in the way that the, the press, and I think Dr. Fauci sometimes talks about it, it's not a synonym for zero COVID. Even when we are in herd immunity, the disease will continue to, to circulate in the population. That sounds scary, but it shouldn't, because if you're vaccinated or if you're COVID recovered, the second time you get it, the next time you get infected, it's not going to be so bad. It tends to be much, much milder than if you got the, than the first time you got it. Um, this disease will circulate forever. We have no technology of eradicating it. We need to tell people that to stop being so scared about it. So you've laid out a lot there. Let me let's start with the the issue of the the herd immunity and the equation there. And and I think it's good to clear this stuff up. This is not like the silver bullet that makes COVID go away. In fact, it keeps it's mutating. And so we get these different variants and it could be that we're constantly changing the vaccine. In fact, mentioning the vaccine, I was looking at a report, New England. Uh, is home to the five states with the highest percentage of fully vaccinated population, yet hospitalizations and death hover near pre-vaccination levels. Um, because, as you said, it's it's not completely stopping. It is it's it's bringing down the, uh, the the dire effects of COVID, but people are still getting it. So we've had about 44 million people that have had COVID uh, in our country. So they would arguably have natural immunity. Yep, definitely they have natural immunity. Actually, probably the number is probably quite a bit higher than that, probably three times higher than that. For every case that's identified with COVID, there are probably three or three or four other people who had uh, infected but were not identified as cases because their their uh, infection was so relatively. Well, mild. that would be that would be what I mean. That'd be 130 half the population. Yeah, half the population. Least. So when you take yeah, that, you take that with the 50 plus percent that's been vaccinated. Now, I know there's some overlap on that, 
um, we should be getting close to that number that everybody talks about, 80% of the population uh, or more having either natural immunity or, or vaccination, would we not? Yeah, except that the vaccine immunity doesn't stop disease spread very effectively after a few months. So the disease is still going to circulate. You're seeing this right. in the New England states. You saw that in the South earlier this summer. Uh, the disease will continue to circulate. Uh, and, you know, immunity does decline over time. Um, but the key thing is the protection against severe disease does not seem to, to decline that much over time. You're still protected against the, the – so, so, for instance, I, 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 had, uh, I had the vaccine in April. In August, I got COVID. It was a bad cold. It was really, I mean, it was, I didn't, I wasn't happy with it, but it was, you know, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't hospitalized and I was very glad that I had the vaccine. It protected me against more severe disease than I would have otherwise had. Um, same thing with people who have had COVID and recovered. They actually, the, the data suggested that at, at one year, only 0.3% of people who had COVID and recovered a year later, only 0.3% get COVID again. 0.3%. So that's even stronger than the vaccine. So why? Why is that not being discussed by the CDC and the federal government? I am at a loss to understand the actions of the CDC. They seem like they want to, uh, they, they seem fixated on a strategy of eradicating the disease. The problem is, or, or, or and when you see Dr. Fauci talk, he talks about reducing the number of cases to a, to, a, to a minimal level. The problem is that it is not, we have no technology to stop the, to, to eradicate the disease. The vaccines, as you just said, don't stop the disease from spreading. And uh, the lockdowns failed to do so either. We have no technology to do that. Instead, and, and, and so what, instead of what the CDC has been doing is they've been telling people we have to make all these changes in our life in order to do an impossible goal, which is get rid of the disease. Um, instead, what they should be doing is they should be telling people how to manage the risk around this disease. That starts with vaccination, especially if you're old and vulnerable, or right. you absolutely should get vaccinated. Um, and then live healthy lifestyles. All kinds of interventions that are that are that are now available that weren't available, monoclonal antibodies, for instance, we should stamp tamp down the fear around the, this, this disease and instead give people tools to manage the risk. So, what about the, uh, the this new drug that I think from is it Merck that is out with uh, a, a treatment once you have COVID that apparently is, is super effective? Does that hold promise? It does look like it holds promise. We'll see, though. I mean, you know, the, you don't you don't decide based on press releases whether a drug works. You, you wait until you see the data. I have not seen the. the actual I forgot. Data. I'm talking to a scientist, not a politician. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, if, if it if it works, I'll say so. If it if I don't think the data are good, I'll say so. I mean, it's, it depends on what the data show. Uh, we do have drugs that work, like the monoclonal antibodies work. They, they actually have very, very good evidence behind them. Um, if you're hospitalized, we have a much better protocol than we did last year. This is a, no longer the kind of disease it was last year yes. because we have tools to manage it. Right. Let's tell the population that. Well, that we, have, hear it. we have a lot more knowledge, and that's what, that's what people are, I think, hesitant about. Now, when I had it in July of last year, they tested me, said, yeah, you got it. Go home. If you can't breathe, call us. Uh, that was it. My wife had it a month later, and they had sent her home with like five prescriptions of different things. And, and so the, the, the protocol has changed over time because we have learned more. And, you know, the recommendations from CDC, it keeps changing. But they're not putting all the facts on the table. And, and I think one of the biggest hesitancies, as you pointed out, this idea that everybody's got it vaccinated, and that's what's going to eradicate this uh, virus, 
if they would just have an adult conversation with, all right, if you if you've had the virus, uh, you you are protected. But if you're still in a high risk category, we'd recommend you go ahead and get vaccinated anyway on top of having natural immunity. You know what? I think a lot of people would buy that, but they're not doing it that way. Instead, they're like focused on uh, vaccine mandates, which are essentially like ripping society apart. Uh, huge numbers of working class people, teachers, firefighters, uh, nurses, essentially being let go from their jobs, even though they've had COVID before and they, they don't really, I mean, the, the, the vaccine doesn't protect them all, all that much. They're, they're focused on vaccinating a young population when, in fact, there's still, I think, like 10, 15 percent of the, the older population still unvaccinated, still unprotected. I mean, think about I that. Think. think about that for a moment. The, the very health care workers that we say are going to be in short supply because we're overrunning the hospitals, we're forcing them out. I mean, are we shooting ourselves in the foot here? We absolutely are. It's, it doesn't make any sense. And they were heroes of last year. They worked all through COVID, uh, essentially providing services to people. And now we're saying, we're turning around and saying, okay, you had COVID, you, you think you're recovered. If you don't get vaccinated, we're going to fire you okay. and replace you. It doesn't, it, it's not. Uh, well, and, just, and my daughter is one of those. My daughter was an ER nurse, worked with COVID patients. She got COVID uh, as you get, had the antibodies. Uh, but you know, fortunately, she's in a hospital yet that has not come down with the uh, the iron fist uh, that the uh, the administration is pushing. But I mean, she, she's talked to a lot of her colleagues, a lot of her coworkers, just like what happened in New York. They're going to walk out. They're not going to do this, especially young, healthy who are concerned. Whether it's, I mean, the still this is an early. It's the vaccine is early. There's still some some unknowns about it. If we were five, 10 years down the road and all of these things were known, uh, maybe people wouldn't be as hesitant. Yeah, I think I think um, your your daughter, I hope she doesn't get put in that, 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 that situation, but so many nurses around the country have been put in that situation where they have to decide. And, you know, it's it's not unreasonable. Like, we have a vaccine. I think it's pretty safe. Um, but, you know, if you have concerns, well, I mean, I suggest go talk with your doctor and make it make a good decision that works for you. Instead, we're coercing people, threatening their jobs, harming the healthcare system because now people are going to have they're going to be like they're actually going to be hospital overruns, and then um, and then after that, uh, you're essentially saying, you know, if this vaccine is so good, why are you forcing it on me? You're going to create vaccine. Uh, you know, skepticism about other vaccines, about public health generally. Yeah, it is a terrible policy, and I don't, I, I, I really don't understand it. It's this coercive policy instead of, instead of just treating people like adults, telling people what the data say. So, Dr. Bardicherry, is there any way now at this point to unwind this knot for them to walk this back in a reasonable way so that we can move toward? You know, protecting those who need to be protected and and keep our economy moving, our hospitals functioning. Uh, is there a way they can do that? I mean, I, I think you saw Dr. Fauci just do this with Christmas, right? So uh, yesterday he basically says, uh, you know, there's in Dr. Fauci's uh, fantasy land, there's always there's always winter, but never Christmas, right? He says, <laughs> uh, but in effect, um, but but now he comes walks back and said, well, you know, I'm going to meet with my family. I think they should start doing that. They can they can say. Uh, the right things now, even now, and that would build trust. I, I mean, I think uh, th- they don't need to keep defending a goal that is impossible. We cannot have zero COVID. Start telling people the truth, which is that we have much improved treatments. We have vaccinations that are fantastically good for, for preventing severe disease uh, and start trusting people to make good choices, empower people, empower their providers, and good results will happen. I think it's still possible.
Well, I hope they take your advice, uh, Dr. Bardicherry, because I think that's exactly what needs to happen is, uh, is step back, have reasonable conversations with the American people, treat them like adults, and let them make the decisions along with that they consult, along with their doctors, that are best for them. Yeah, I think so, too. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Bardicherry. Always great to talk with you. Great. Thank you, Sean. You have him. All right. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya with Stanford University School of Medicine um, makes so much sense. You know, just look at the science. You know, all these people always talk about follow the science. Well, somewhere they missed a turn because they're not following the science. This has become very political uh, in this administration, and and I, I can't help but see it as a power grab. And that's why I think people who love liberty and love freedom are resisting. Now, I know I'm going to get criticized by both sides when I say this, but I say it. I'm not against the vaccine, right? I think there are, there are the, the studies will show there's issues with it. There's also people who die from COVID. And I think you need to make the decision based upon your own health situation. I didn't get it because I have natural immunity. Other people don't need it. They're in good health. Others it may be to their benefit to get it, but it should be a choice you make, not one that the government makes for you. All right, folks, out of time. I want to thank you for joining us again. Find out more about Prevote Stand Summit beginning this Wednesday evening. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.